Well, hello, all you vacationing vampire bats. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast all about still sustainability, conservation, and nature. We're off to a great start. Yeah. (laughs) I'm one of your coast hosts, host Casey, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sarah. Uh, hello everyone it's Ooh. been that kind of a week <laughs> I didn't think it had and then it, it has apparently so only on up from here yeah, so. right. <laughs> well welcome back to another week we here at a little greener like to talk about how we can be a little bit more environmentally friendly and learn together and and chat together so homework from last week Sarah was what can you do basically last week we talked about anthropomorphism, assigning human characteristics to animals and how effective that is in media. And kind of had two different homework assignments, either to help a child anthropomorphize an animal that is like a, a not classically human-like animal. So a snake, an insect, or to look up a way that you could help out an animal that has struck you either through a documentary or through an experience that you've had, um, where you've thought about their point of view. So Sarah, how did your homework go this week? So, so the first one I tend to do fairly regularly, I think uh, (laughs) my job. So, uh, and I did have some moments over the course of the last week where I got to do that. Uh, but I did also opt to make a donation is, is what I chose to do, which is not the the only thing that that you can do, but to an organization. And I, I, I thought about the way that you had posed this, you know, to think of an animal that you were really impacted by in the media. I almost feel like this is cheating a little bit because this is not uh, actually a documentary but the thing that I thought about and I Casey I've probably told you this story before I don't think we've talked about it uh, on the podcast but when I was very young like five years old I watched a movie called The Bear oh I don't I don't know that you have okay this is The Bear I <gasps> think got the, that the it, cover yeah, of the, the DVD, DVD. Uh, I think this came out in the mid eighties. Now this is not a documentary. I have not watched it in a really long time. So I can't tell you exactly how it did on anthropomorphism in particular, but it is definitely a made up story. This was trained bears on a set and all of that, which is a whole other uh, discussion. But I remember I was traumatized by this movie. I believe that the there it's about a bear cub. Uh, and the survival of this bear cub along with an adult male grizzly and their interactions with man uh, is what I've gathered from reading the back because I don't remember. What I remember is this bear cub lost its mother and that wrecked me (laughs) as a small child and I've never forgotten it. And maybe like 10 years ago, my mother gave me this movie for my birthday, thinking that I was a normal human being that would be able to cope with watching (laughs) this film as an adult. And I have not, I cannot watch it. Uh, I'm too emotionally devastated by it, but I chose to support a conservation organization that uh, helps protect the habitat of grizzlies along with many other animals. So I um, 
not just donated, but also followed on social media and signed up for the mailing list of, um, oh, I closed the window, Yellowstone to Yukon, I believe is what it's called. It's either that or the other way around, um, but it is a conservation organization where Canada and the United States are partnered together and protecting that habit habitat, Yellowstone to Yukon. So I thought it was pretty cool. And yeah, that's what I chose to do. That's awesome, Sarah. <laughs> that's great. Um, I do want to point out that you're not the only one who gets like emotionally wrecked by, by things. I don't feel like you're alone in that. I'm sure there's a lot of very empathetic people who can relate to that experience listening right now. I will say like, uh, Andrew and I were, were looking at watching a movie once and it, I'm not going to spoil it. because It's a very big spoiler, but basically it was a movie that is very famous that involves a dog and Andrew's like, have you seen this before? And I was like, no. And he's like, do you want to watch it? And I said, I need to know if the dog dies. <laughs> and he was like, no, the dog doesn't die. And I was like, excellent. We watched this movie and the dog gets shot. And I was like, he can't die. Cause Andrew said he's not going to die. And spent like the next two minutes, like waiting for like this next, like veterinarian scene of the dog running back to meet the main character. And no, the dog is permanently dead. There's no like whimsical, like dog in heaven, sh nothing. And I just like turned to Andrew and was like, this is, you lied to me. I feel so betrayed by it. So you definitely, I, I understand having to be in like the right emotional state to think about these sort of things. Um, I was thinking about lions actually this week because I had watched Serengeti and I had talked about like, I, I didn't think it was a very good use of anthropomorphism, but they were, uh, one of the characters in it was a female lion. And it's been a couple months since I've got to spend time with lions. So I was looking up things that I can do. Um, and as an American, honestly, it's more of a donation situation right. for lions. Um, so I have a plan to ask for, for, because I don't have right now, Andrew and I are saving up for a wedding. We're saving up for a house, all this stuff. Um, my plan is to ask for a donation to the African wildlife foundation for Christmas coming up here as one of my, like, you know, you can get like a sponsorship in your name. Yeah. I'm an adult. Like I've got a lot of needs that need covering right now, but they're extremely practical, non-gifty needs. And my sister's always annoyed about me being boring and like not asking for things that are, are gifty. And so I did some research and like spent time on the African wildlife foundation's page about lions. One of the biggest problems for lions is human wildlife conflict and being pushed out of historical habitat. They also have some issues with climate change, but it's not their primary threat. Um, so while I want to do more in my, my life to help out lions. So much of it is going to be solved by uh, local communities and nonprofits and things like that. So it, it is important to raise awareness in the last 20 years, according to the African Wildlife Foundation, populations of African lions have decreased 43%, um, which a lot of people don't really think of lions as being an endangered species, but they're very much headed in that direction. So Hey, if you've been moved by an animal out there, there's no deadline on these, right. these action items. Try and, and take a look because even some of your favorite animals that you might consider like classic or even basic could use our help. Yeah. And th there's no need to wait until an animal is endangered. You know, that's the other thing. Like I was thinking oh, you know, 100%. With, with grizzly bears, 
to, and I mean, brown bears as a whole, you could look at brown bears as a whole are thought to be pretty stable population. Grizzly bears in the United States in particular were removed from the endangered species list in 2017 I think I think 2017 but there was ongoing debate yeah. and all of that so yeah an animal doesn't need to be endangered to need our help and yeah a lot of times so with the bears same as lions Casey what you were saying it is habitat loss and human wildlife conflict for them as well and that is harder those are harder things to address if you don't specifically live in that area so yeah finding those organizations that are local that can help is a good way to do it but yeah you don't have to do it right now if you don't have funds to give or you could come up with funds another way like I mean Casey I think that's amazing what you're planning to do you know you can just have a, a donation campaign if you want to regardless of holidays or, or birthdays or anything like that there are um, even so the organization that I'm donating to, they suggest even things like Amazon Smile. Oh, Not yeah. I try to use Amazon a lot, but if you do have to buy something from Amazon, you can go through Amazon Smile and see if your organization of choice is on there and um, they'll get a very small portion, but still a portion of the proceeds from that purchase. So you can look for things like that too. Yeah, I think my current uh, organization for that is the Wildlife Conservation Society. So there's lots of cool nature ones that, yeah, that's a great point that your purchases you're already making can help support. So, and we chose two charismatic megafauna. Um, I would say uh, one of the things that stood out to me, I forget which series it is, um, but we, it, it was, I think like Life at Night or something like that. It was a recent David Attenborough one there were all these hamsters living in a cemetery and that was like something that stood out really strongly to Andrew and they're just hamsters, wild hamsters making their homes in a cemetery. And so like, it doesn't have to be something like a lion or a bear. It can be things very small, something local, whatever floats your boat, take a look at it. Speaking of small and local, Casey, something else that we <laughs> talked about oh, last yeah. week, not in our main discussion, but I think you were just sharing in our intro last week, is that you are going to be tagging monarch butterflies in the near future. And we were talking about how with butterflies, it's a little different than what you normally think about with tracking animals, because obviously they're small and delicate. So it's done more manually where you're tagging them with just basically a sticker. So you put that sticker on them in one location. And then the idea is they will be caught later at their destination. And that sticker will be read and manually recorded. And so you had just sort of offhand mentioned that you're sure at some point things will get a little more technological for those butterflies. Lo and behold, and this was not even a case of my cell phone spying on me or anything. <laughs> Two days later, I get an email through work about this monarch butterfly tracking project through the University of Michigan, where they are going to be putting sensors on monarch butterflies, like little chips that they're going to be able to track. And I'm, I was blown away. So I have to read you because this is, I want to say this sounds like an advertisement for like a computer company, like a computer so small, it can right. float on the wing of a butterfly, <laughs> well, which, is, <laughs> which is what it is. Basically, basically yeah. What it is. yeah. So they are, it, this says planning to build, but I, they've already 
tested this on butterflies and greenhouses, at least a tiny sensor that's two by two by 4.2 millimeters in size and weighs like 30 milligrams or something that can be placed on a butterfly without disrupting its life cycle. This sensor accurately logs pressure, light intensity, and temperature information from the butterfly's surroundings, which can be remotely read out once the butterfly arrives at its destination. Paired with accurate weather and environmental information, this data can be used to extrapolate the exact path of the butterfly day by day using top-notch machine learning. I, I'm kind of blown away by it, and I think it's amazing, and I hope it works. Um, the last thing that I found on this, so this, that was from their, their website. I just did a quick search and found an article from like the end of 2020 saying that they had tried it on butterflies in a greenhouse and didn't notice there, there was no significant difference in like the butterflies metabolic activity or anything like that wearing these devices. So I hope that it's successful. It would be really cool you know, again, monarch butterflies that will travel like 3000 miles to their wintering habitat, it would be really cool to know more about exactly where they're going and uh, where they're spending their time. And of course, that kind of information always helps with conservation. So, and then also on their website, there's a tab where you can go to help out and again, I don't know where they're at with this, but there's a form that you can fill out. So if you live in the eastern part of the United States where, where monarch butterflies might be passing through, and I know a lot of our listeners do, you can volunteer to have like sensors put in your backyard that might be along the butterflies route. So something to look into if you're interested. I just thought it was really cool that that popped up right after we talked about it. And in past episodes, we have talked, we've done an episode about insects mm -hmm. and we talked about how difficult it is to quantify insect populations and to understand some of their um, life cycles as they spend a lot of time yep. underground and things like that. So this technology I'm sure has wide ranging implications for figuring out all sorts of things about the bug world. And I'm looking forward to that documentary as well, That's following right. a monarch through its migration. How cool would that be? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. I'm excited to hear more about it. All right. So Casey, this week, we're going to be talking about vacationing. I talked about this a few weeks ago, back when I was on vacation, that we would do an episode on just looking at some ways that we can try to be a little more environmentally friendly while we're traveling. So just general vacation question for you. How do you do your vacations? Are you one of those people that plans out your things, what you're going to do, all of the things you're going to see? Or are you more of just a spontaneous, we're going to go here? And we're going to see what happens. How do you do your vacations? Oh, good question. I, I'm going to have to like isolate this to vacations Andrew and I take, because when I take them with my family, my family tends to plan particular mm -hmm. items. I will say I am a person who does not get overly excited about vacations till I'm there because I am a worst case scenario thinker where I'm like, hmm, too many things can happen in between now and then. And I'll be extremely disappointed if I miss my flight and I can't get to XYZ location. Um, so I don't get excited until we're actually there. And then once we're there, I 
I feel like I have been burned enough by not booking tickets ahead of time or missing out on a deal that if we plan to go to some place, like for example, if we plan to go to a zoo, we know from COVID protocols that you have to plan ahead because a lot of places like museums and zoos have capacity limits or we'll have talked to somebody we know that that works there. But I try and leave like the food or the other tourist destinations that don't involve tickets to be really flexible. Um, because I have been known in the past to overbook a day and then want to sleep the entire next day. So I like to have a vague plan. If it's tickets, I need them ahead of time. Otherwise we're kind of like, okay, we'll float around at this time. What about you, Sarah? Well, I realized throughout the course of working on this episode, like I don't really take what I would qualify as real vacations much anymore or maybe maybe that's not true maybe this is how everybody really really does it but if I'm going somewhere it's for a specific purpose I can't remember the last time that I was like huh I just want to take a trip I'm gonna go here like I just don't do that and I guess it's just because you know I moved away from home right away after I left school so then it was like anytime I took time off of work it was to go home so I wouldn't really like take trips per se and now basically like when I was living in Florida anytime I took time off it would be to come back to Indiana and now that I'm living in Indiana anytime I take time off it's to go to Florida and so (laughs) I just go to this specific place uh and so I don't I I don't really plan vacations very often but so yeah I guess I would say I plan in the sense that if I'm going to go somewhere, it's because there's something very specific that I'm going to do, you know, whether that is I'm going to go work this other job or there's a race that I'm going to run or, you know, something like that. And then I'll just kind of see what other things happen around it. And then usually I'll book a, a place to stay in advance. I'm not one to just get there and find a place to stay. But other than that, I basically don't have any plan at all wing it yeah but with trying to travel a little more environmentally friendly there's gonna have to be some planning that goes into it there's gonna be a little more research involved uh, depending on how deep you want to go with it at least so we are going to talk about those things tonight um, different steps that you can take along different parts of your vacation to make it a little more environmentally friendly So you can stay tuned for that. But first, we are going to have a review coming up from Casey. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the review segment of this episode. It's been a little bit since we've had a review here, I think. Yeah, at least a full-on, like, true, full Real, review. true, segmented review. Well, today I am reviewing a product that was recommended to me by my cousin, Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey. She said, hey, have you tried a Rocket Book? Because it's a game changer. And so uh, I decided to invest in a Rocket Book Fusion. Now, I'll say this. This review is a little bit limited by my experience, and I'll explain why in a moment. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Rocket Books are a type of notebook that instead of being made out of paper is made out of, I assume a sort of plastic sort of component and you can write things in it. 
And each page has a little QR code and you can actually upload the notes that you've made into the cloud and then erase the pages. And so actually, nope, I can't get up Rue sitting in my lap, but I was going to show you Sarah. So I decided to I'm go Googling it right now. Don't worry. There about you it. go. Take a look at it. So the, I got the Rocketbook Fusion because it's a combination of like a planner and a notebook and with calendars and goals and different things like that. And I felt like that would be most useful to me for my job. I make a lot of random notes and have to do a lot of to-do lists because I wear a lot of different hats. And a lot of times those to-do lists, they get done within the week and then I never have to look at them again. So, um, basically I will say I got the rocket book out of the package. It did come in plastic packaging, but actually compared to a lot of other packaging that I have encountered, it was fairly minimal packaging. It was almost like a bag. I kind of wanted it originally to be in like cardboard or something, but I realized almost every product that comes in a cardboard box then is packed in a bag anyway. So, so at least they cut that out and it came with its own pen. It has a special pen, like a Frixion pen or something like that. And I started using it. The pages are amazing. I thought that they were going to be, cause they're plastic basically going to be pretty thick and kind of clunky mm-hmm. and it, it feels almost exactly like paper. Wow. It's very thin. It's flexible, all of that. And then the pen writes down almost like a, not quite like a ballpoint pen, but a, a traditional ink pen where the ink takes a little bit to dry. I am a left-handed person, um, which if you're a lefty, you know, the pain of just rampant pencil and pen ink marks on your hand from school, from writing things down. Um, so that you have to make sure that you're conscious that the pen takes a couple seconds to dry, but once it's dry, it's exactly like a pen, but it's washable. <laughs> so there are certain versions of this where you can like microwave your rocket book and the ink disappears. What? Yeah. Uh, the, in the instructions, it was like, Hey, we also make the microwavable one, but don't microwave this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this one is washable. And so I started using it. I felt like the pen worked really well. I liked there's like 42 pages total in mine, which felt right. Like there was plenty of space to write down and keep writing notes. And there were, um, goals pages and I was making a to-do list And the pen actually has like a little eraser component on the back too. So it's kind of like writing in pencil in that way, but then you wash it away when you're done. So if you like make a mistake, you don't have to have a cup of water nearby and make a total mess. Mm -hmm. Um, I was worried because I do work at a garden center that like I would be walking outside and we'd be hosing plants or like I'd get super sweaty because I'm outside a bunch. And um, so I, I guess that's a potential hazard. I really like using it. There is one big caveat to this and why it doesn't work a hundred percent for me as a person. And that's because I lose things <laughs> and you need a special pen for this rocket book to work. And within the week I lost the pen. Oh no. I don't know where it went. You can buy replacements. I will say if like I I keep looking at replacement ones and they come in different colors, which is exciting, but all of the color ones are uh, are reviewed at lower stars than the black ones. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I felt like I was like splurging. I mean, it's a $30 product. It's not extremely expensive, but it, it is like a chunk of change 
And then to have to like buy an extra pen felt like I was being irresponsible with my money because I'm supposed to be saving up for a wedding in a house. And so I have not yet replaced the pen, but based on the amount of paper I go through at work, that is really like nonsense, jotting notes for things, having the opportunity to then store it in a cloud where I might be able to retrieve it or just wash it away because I'm a doodler and a chicken scratcher and all of that kind of stuff really appeals to me and not having to use that paper elements really exciting. So it feels durable. It's long lasting. It doesn't need, you know, trees to be cut down for me to be able to make all these notes, not feel bad about wasting paper. So I love the idea of it. I am sad that I am limited by my ability to hold on to one particular pen in my ability to use this product. But if you're someone who is in a similar situation where you're making a lot of notes and things like that, it might be worth looking at as a sustainable alternative to notebooks. Yeah, I love this. I was not familiar with the Rocketbook. I keep getting these social media ads for this remarkable, which they're calling a paper tablet, but that is hundreds of dollars. Uh, I think this is really cool. So Rocketbook people, if you're listening, we just need a little like pen slot. It's got like a spiral thing. And I was like, do I just attach it this way? But yes, it needs like something where it feels like it's supposed to go there. Yeah. It needs a little like dock somehow. So get on that. But yeah, I think that sounds really cool. Like I'm going to have to look take a closer look and see if that's might be something I want to check out too. So yeah, I'm someone who um, really needs to like, I like writing things down. I don't retain information by typing it into a computer. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're a student, for example, this might be a way to like, you know, one particular class period, you're not going to write an entire notebook's worth of notes. So being able to upload them to the computer and then write them down or, and then wash your rocket book mm-hmm. and then write down next week's seems like a really good use of this. And it comes in different sizes. So more of a traditional notebook size with less pages than a traditional notebook. Um, and the fusion's a little bit smaller like I have. So it's basically like a planner I popped in my purse. Love it. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate the review. And everyone stick around. We'll be back with our main discussion coming up next. All right, welcome back everyone. We will go ahead and get started with our main discussion. So we are talking about vacations and I realize this is not especially timely, perhaps both because- Going back to school. Health, yeah, health things still Can't out there. It's yeah, everybody who just started school. Uh, I don't have kids, so that's not something I really think about. But like I said, there's- there's lots of little things we can talk about with vacations, lots of decisions that you can make. So these are just, it's just going to be food for thought this evening. If you're dreaming about your next vacation, hopefully you'll get even just a small thing or two out of tonight's discussion that you can put towards your future vacationing purposes. There are a lot of ways that our vacations have the potential to impact 
the environment and that's everything from, of course, travel, which is maybe the first thing that I would think about is, is our transportation. How are we actually getting there? But where we're going, where we're staying, the activities that we're choosing to do, all of those things can have an impact on the environment. And I will say to you, a lot of this episode was just me sort of gathering various ideas and opinions. I didn't find a whole lot of necessarily data heavy study on certain aspects of this. So again, just sort of food for thought this evening that we're, we're kind of going to go through. And I kind of broke this into categories a little bit. So we'll talk about transportation and lodging. We'll talk about sort of prep uh, and we'll talk about where we're going. And I'm actually going to start with that, even though, like I said in our opening, this is not typically how I would plan a vacation, but I, I think maybe other people do it this way. So I don't usually like pick a destination and say, oh, I want to go here, right? I usually know, okay, I have to go here. Um, and this is, this is going to be my vacation destination. But Casey, if you do, how do you, how do you choose where you want to go? If you're just like, oh, we're going to take a vacation or how do you, or how do you and Andrew choose where you want to go? There's basically like two forms. So one, I should say there's three, three forms of vacation. Number one, when we lived in Indiana, both our families were both 10 hours away. So number one was a visit family, quote unquote vacation. Like we would try and always do something fun while we were there, but it was very much a, we're going to visit. That was like our main travel. Right. But the two other ones we would do is a zoo vacation. Excellent. <laughs> so we have both worked at zoos and when you work at zoos, it is fun to go on vacation to other zoos so that you can like see all these different cool species and see how they design their exhibits and see how the experience is like and steal ideas and talk to people who you might know online or through other work things and meet them in person. And so that is like the vast majority of vacations we would go on. It's Andrew'd be like, okay, let's go on a zoo tour. So we did a road trip to uh, Detroit Zoo, uh, Cleveland Zoo. I'm forgetting all of them. Toledo Zoo. Like, yeah. So like we'll road trip down to a particular yeah. zoo destination and then we'll try and hit other things around there. So when we did that particular trip, we also went to, I think it's Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Um, while we were in Ohio and try and hit some, some other things that hit our interests as well. We went to the St. Louis zoo, but then we also did the botanical gardens and the city museum. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how we pick our vacation destination. The only really other type of vacation we would take normally, it would be like camping to a park or like a day trip to a park. But when you do work in the nonprofit world, you don't have a lot of expendable income to be able to plan. Like I'm going to Europe. Yeah. Um, and, and so any of those bigger, longer vacations I've gone on, I went on as a family for the most part. And I feel like my parents were much more of like, we're going to go to this location and then pick a bunch of destinations within that versus like us being like, we're going to go to the zoo and we're probably going to get in for free because either we have an AZA membership or we know someone who will let us in. Yeah. <laughs> we'll drive there. So just a reasonable uh, way to pick a destination if you ask me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? I mean, you've uh, talked a little bit about yeah, that. No, it's, I, yeah, no, I, yeah, it's really, it's really pretty much just wherever I, I, I need to go. So this first thing that I'm going to suggest is 
weirdly not something that I had had thought about that if you have the freedom, if you're just like, I want to get away, where should I go? Which I do. I, I sure do have, it's just me. So I could do whatever I want. Um, you know, you could think about specifically targeting locations that are making an effort to be environmentally friendly. I thought that was kind of interesting way to look at it. So that might be a national park, like you mentioned, and that I will say is probably my uh, outside of Florida, my other favorite place to go is the Great Smoky Mountains. That is uh, a national park that's within driving distance for me and just a very relaxing place to visit if you avoid the more uh, crowded peak times. So, but it, it might be a national park or a state park, some kind of green space, but you could also look for different cities if you're wanting to go visit another city look for cities that maybe participate in the Arbor Day Foundation. They have a, a Tree City USA program where you can look up the different cities that participate in that and, and you can see what qualifies them to be part of Tree City USA as well. The Xerxes Society, let's just let's just give our invertebrates and our, our, our insects some love today. The Xerxes Society is a great uh, invertebrate conservation organization and they have a bee city USA program. So you can look for cities that are making an effort to help support bees and other pollinators. You could also just look around for cities that have good infrastructure in place in terms of sustainability. They have lots of green spaces incorporated into their city plannings. They have good public transportation and, and things like that. So if you're just like, ah, I just want to go, but I don't, there's nothing I need to do. I just want to go somewhere that I haven't been before. You might think about looking up your destination like that. Uh, and if you do have the freedom to travel internationally as well, there is a global green economy index <laughs> that looks at a number of different factors. So they look at things like the leadership and climate change commitments, um, building transportation and energy efficiency areas. And so they've ranked right now, they're, they've ranked 130 countries in this index. So you can look at some different countries around the world that are making sustainability efforts as well. So just something interesting that I hadn't really thought about before in terms of choosing your vacation destination. I was going to say another thing to think about is whether or not that destination is experiencing some sort of resource shortage. So, so the first thing that popped to mind when I thought about like a place environmentally positive or negative making a decision about is this year. Hawaii actually asked people to delay their vacations mm. to come to the island because they were experiencing both the COVID surge and a water shortage. So also keeping those things in mind when you're talking about infrastructure, like Sarah's talking about, you want green infrastructure. It would be great if like you knew that you were staying at a hotel that got its energy from a green resource. That's amazing. But also knowing that like, Hey, if I'm only going to be able to experience this particular little slice of paradise at the expense of residents or wildlife. Like that's another way to kind of weigh those decisions as well. And think about aiming for particular times of year or, or times that that particular place isn't experiencing a shortage or a hardship that you would then exacerbate by coming in as an outsider. 
Yeah, that's another great tip too, just in general, is trying to avoid those peak sort of touristy times and seasons that can help lessen the impact and the strain on the local resources as well. And I think will give you a more enjoyable vacation too. And that you you kind of tied in there to what I, the other thing that I was going to say as well, is if you are going to a place that has sort of more of this infrastructure in place, it is going to make it easier to reduce your impact too. So if you're going to a city that's very walkable, then you are going to cut out, you know, a lot of your own transportation emissions that you might have going somewhere else. So also when choosing your destination, you know, think about the experiences that you're going to have in that destination. This is the thing that we've talked about on this podcast, I think a, a couple of different times before, is if you are participating in an animal or a nature experience, make sure that you are choosing those experiences wisely. Uh, This is a thing that's going to involve a little more research. There's not just a list of places that I can tell you, you know, to, to go and see for sure. Certainly, if you are talking about zoos or wildlife sanctuary, there are accreditation organizations that you can look at um, that help do some of that research for you. Again, just because an organization doesn't appear uh, or isn't accredited doesn't mean they're bad necessarily, but you do just have to do more research. So think about that before you do an experience. Seeing animals in their own habitat is generally a good tip to look for. So go on an animal viewing experience rather than going to some place that you are seeing animals uh, that are going to be brought to you, basically, if that makes sense. Trying to, generally speaking, just avoid animal touching and selfie experiences. But again, you're just going to have to research a little bit, um, but you want to make sure that you are supporting organizations that have the animal's best interest at heart if they're offering animal experiences uh, or that are being thoughtful about the environment. So if you're going to go on a diving or snorkeling uh, experience, for example, and that organization isn't talking to you about how to be responsible around coral reefs or or things like that, if they're not doing that, if that's not a priority for them, uh, maybe go and look elsewhere at a different organization. So just do a little research in advance when you're choosing those experiences. Right. You, you want to look at things like, does your website have a conservation page, for mm-hmm. example, would is kind of like a first easy step and like, look at it. Is it actually robust talking about issues facing them? Or is it like, you know, plastic is a problem. The end, like, right. uh, you know, is it more robust? Look at the reviews, see if there's anything in there that like made you a little squeamish, or maybe there's someone who is better informed in there who said, Hey, I had questions about this, but I felt like their animal welfare or the way they presented the context of this tour was really responsible and look into it that way. Um, or if you have somebody who's in the animal industry, um, someone who works at a zoo in your life or works at a sanctuary or anything like that. You can also ask their advice of particular things to look for or send them the website and see if they see anything that immediately stands out to them as sketchy. A lot of times you can't tell everything unless you actually go, but there are certain red flags that might stand out 
to you, you know, if you send it to your friend and they're like, yeah, they were in Tiger King, like that's right. a good, <laughs> they might have a little more information than you do. Um, so yeah, definitely doing your research and making sure that like, even, even when we visit animals in their natural habitat, that's not an exclusive, like, oh, this is the most moral good I could possibly do by visiting them only in this environment, because there's also evidence that heavy traffic flow through natural habitats does impact animal behavior. So also doing research, even if it's just a like park, I'm thinking more internationally, but I'm sure there's lots of wild spaces in the U S as well, where this is very true and being responsible while you're in those spaces as well. For sure. And then we talked a little bit about food and how we do or don't plan that out. But one of the things that you can do if you're visiting a destination as well is to just look for local food and experiences. So even things like tour organizations and things like that, if you are traveling internationally, maybe instead of picking a, a big international tour, you know, look for folks who are local, see if you can support that local economy a little bit. And I think that makes for a more fun, more unique experience when you're traveling as well. But Casey, when you're thinking about vacation destinations, what's the most environmentally friendly place that you could take a vacation? Probably. Well, probably we're, we always talk about like doing less is more. That's right. And so sticking close to home, I'm guessing is yep. the, the best. Yeah. It might not be the most exciting, but if you're just looking for a break, you could also think about taking a staycation instead. And you, that could just mean still traveling a little bit, but maybe staying with, with you know, whatever you want it to be within a certain radius of a, a of your home city or staying in your state, or it could literally mean just staying in your own home. I would say if you choose to do that though, some tips for a good staycation. And honestly, this is right up my alley. I love just staying in my home. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is what I feel like I need right now, honestly. But make sure you really disconnect. Like if you've got a work email, delete that app off of your phone. Um, you know, give yourself a break from the housework. Do something new. Explore your own, you know, city a little bit. Do some things that you haven't done or seen before. Support your own local small businesses and really do do something to make it fun for yourself. But we do always talk about it. Less is more. The most environmentally friendly thing that you can do is to do nothing a lot of the time. So uh, if you just need a break, just know that that staycation is, is a good option too when you're thinking about your destinations. Sarah, can I talk about food a little bit more? Please do. So talking about like looking at local places for food, if, I mean, like we went to Nashville, for example, this year and Nashville's dish is hot chicken which is obviously a meat dish. And I wasn't going to deprive myself of experiencing hot chicken in this particular case. Um, but looking for places that, um, have some sort of environmentally friendly mission, something like eating more plant-based meals while you're on the road. Don't just fall for the hamburger, just, you know, because it's convenient. If you can plan ahead, you can find places that locally source things that are more plant-based. You can go to um, seedfoodwatch.org and they have lists of restaurants that serve sustainable seafood in cities across the U.S. So that would be one place to maybe 
reward a business who is trying to do right. If you're looking for seafood at, by finding them through that list. So betcha, you could find other lists of green restaurants when you're touring around. That's a really good place. And then other like support, supporting local people for experiences. You can also look at any sort of indigenous groups that live in the area for, you know, if you're staying close to home, sometimes there's surprising things about our history that you can learn really, really close and maybe places you wouldn't have visited in the first place. So looking at things like historical monuments or visiting a place run by indigenous folks that talk to you about the history of the land that you're currently living on, learning about their history and their current situation is important in understanding their role as environmental stewards as well. So that's another way that you can start to broaden your mind and keep your destination green. Yeah. And another thing too, you know, that might help you find some of these things better is another just kind of travel tip is to travel a little more slowly. So don't bounce from destination to destination you know, pick a, pick a place and stay there a while, you know, in, instead of maybe trying to fit a few cities in your trip, maybe just spend a good amount of time in that, that one city that's going to reduce your environmental impact. And it's going to help you be able to get to know the local culture and the local history and the story of the people that live there a, a little bit better too. So all good thoughts. Anything else, Casey, on destinations in particular or choosing your activities at your destinations? It's just a very broad topic. So I feel like we're going to dive into more things as we get through that'll come up. I've already got some ideas for for our packing and prep section too. So (laughs) what's next, Sarah? All right. So we're going to go with the actual travel piece now. And by that, I mean, lodging and transportation. So let's start with where you stay. Now, Casey, you actually mentioned this uh, at the top of the episode, because obviously if you're really looking to go green and, you know, have as little impact as possible, you might consider doing something like camping. So Casey, you've, you've gone camping before, like you've actually gone camping as your destination, right? Like camping is the thing that you do. Would you ever consider just camping like as an alternative to staying in a hotel, like if you were driving, say, I don't know where, if you were like driving out West to go on vacation and you were stopping for the night on the side of the road, you know, to continue your journey that, you know what I mean? Not like <laughs> so if you were going to stop overnight and book Do a hotel room, on the side no, of the road. Side. if you were going to like stop for a hotel overnight, would you just consider like finding a campground nearby and just spending the night at the campground? Uh, yes. Andrew's a pro at this. Okay. Like this is, this is his go-to. He's gone to like work conferences and stayed in a tent overnight. I, because a lot of our vacations end up being hiking or things like that, unless we are planning on like camping as part of the destination, I really do like to have, a as working showers. That's like Mm -hmm. my number one creature comfort would be working showers. Or if it's in the middle of the summer, like I do like some air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah. But we, I mean, we really liked it. My sister is actually backpacking right now. She, she just drove out pretty locally with my cousin and they're going backpacking. And that is their destination and their lodging and their travel through that area. So it's all sort of built into one. Um, And something that we didn't really mention for our destination is that element of spending time in nature being more rejuvenating than spending time 
in a human-made setting, like being able to be amongst nature, we know has a lot of health benefits. And so incorporating camping as part of your lodging or your destination is a really good way to help make the most out of your vacation by decompressing. Yeah. So for Are me, you a camper? no, I've never been camping. I would love to go. Oh camping. yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. No, I've, I've never been camping. So yes. Well, I would certainly love to do that. Like as a destination trip to, to go camping, I need to get somebody to, to come with me who knows what they're doing, but this for, for me right now, camping is not a viable option. And I cannot imagine doing one of my trips down South and just spending the night at a campground instead of getting a hotel. Like I'm already tired and stressed out enough by the drive that I need the comfort of that hotel for sure. I don't know if I would make it through that second day, honestly. So that leaves me more with looking at the, the more traditional things of either a hotel motel or an Airbnb, which actually I have never done an Airbnb either. Have you, have you used Airbnb, Casey? No, it seems scary to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does seem scary to me also. I don't quite get it. But a lot of people use it. It's very popular. Generally seems to be considered the more env- environmentally friendly choice. Although there were a couple of things that came up as I was looking at it that at least right now, it doesn't look like Airbnb puts out any sort of sustainability report. And if you're not familiar with Airbnb, it's basically a you rent out your a house. space sharing. Yeah. Like a yeah. home sharing thing. And you, you might rent out a house. You might have a room. Um, there are like specialty locations. Like I got on there for a few minutes and there are like farm stays, uh, the tiny houses <laughs> were on there. So there's some cool stuff, uh, that, that you can look at. So it's just, it's individual people that are doing this as part of this Airbnb company. So they don't put out any sort of sustainability report. And there was nothing that you could search for when I, when I searched a location in terms of, you know, like you can't specifically look for places that are environmentally friendly in terms of there's no like recycling is offered or this location features energy star appliances or has a gray water system. Like there was no, nothing for any of those types of categories that I could find. I did though look at a, a couple of properties. Like I found one that mentioned in the description that it had uh, access to a walking trail and nearby bike rentals in a local farmer's market. So you could maybe kind of get a sense um, reading descriptions of individual properties of which ones might have a, a lower footprint or not. But those are just things to consider. So really, I'm, you're going to be tired of me saying it, but what it comes down to for either one, for Airbnb or for getting a hotel is you kind of just have to do some homework. You just have to look into it a little bit. Uh, There's not a great resource that I could find in terms of eco-friendly hotels out there either. Now, again, you could could search for it and you'll get lists of things that pop up. um, But in terms of just any sort of official registry, there doesn't seem to be uh, anything that's really easily accessible out there. So 
in terms of either one, if you're looking at an Airbnb, I, you just kind of have to do a little searching and look at those descriptions and see what they say. You can probably, my guess would be, talk to the owner as well too. So if you have sustainability questions, you can ask them those questions. Um, but the same thing, look at the hotels that are in the area that you want to stay and then look at what their sustainability policies are, you know, so just get on there again, the same thing that we were talking about with the destinations and the experiences, look at what they say, look out for greenwashing, a hotel chain saying that they are environmentally friendly doesn't really mean anything. Um, does that mean that they've put LED bulbs in their rooms and haven't done anything else? You know, do they locally source the food at their restaurants? Do they uh, have recycling programs in place? So really look and see what they're saying, what their goals are and what actions that they're taking. Yeah. It doesn't just count if they tell you like, don't wash your towels every single right. day. Like that's, that's at this point kind of an industry bare minimum. So yeah, no, that's a really good point, Sarah. I wonder, Hey, CEO of Airbnb, who's definitely listened to this podcast. What for if sure. you put a fil search filter on for things like that? That would be really cool. Yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of implication we're not thinking about there, but like for, for green-minded travelers, yeah. Having an idea of what's going on in the local area. Sometimes it's hard. We've talked about how recycling varies so widely across the country knowing what your options are in the city would be really nice. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was hoping for when I got on there. I was hoping that there would be some filters, but at least not that I saw. Something that you can look for in terms of a hotel or a motel is looking for LEED certified buildings. So LEED is L-E-E-D. That's Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Um, and this is for all buildings. This is not just the hotel industry, but you can look for LEED certified Hotels, um, according to the U.S. Green Building Council, LEED is the most widely used green building rating system in the world. Available for virtually all building types, LEED provides a framework for healthy, highly efficient, and cost-saving green buildings. LEED certification is a globally recognized symbol of sustainability, achievement, and leadership. So this is not, you're not going to find like a chain of hotels <laughs> that is LEED certified. Uh, and your odds of finding a LEED certified hotel where you're going are, are not high. Um, as of the, the most recent article that I could find, there's uh, just over 2,100 lodgings registered for LEED certification or that are certified globally. And about 1,200 of those are the in the United States. So you can find a LEED certified hotel in 40 states, 30 countries, five continents around the world. But again, odds of you being able to find one at your destination in particular are not going to be high. Uh, you would almost just have to do a search for lead certified hotels and then plan to go there, uh, which if you want to, I did find the proximity hotel in Greensboro, North Carolina, which North Carolina is a beautiful state. Might be a good vacation destination for Might you. Might be a place to be camping yeah. for Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, that'd be great. Um, but apparently this was the first LEED certified platinum hotel in 2008, which is their highest level. Um, there are, I think there's platinum, gold, and silver, maybe another one. It is extremely difficult to be LEED certified. Like they mm -hmm. look at, um, in my college, some people would go and try and get certified to certify the buildings. Yeah. 
and the standards are insane. Like it was a huge test and they were looking at things like insulation of the building and electrical work. And like, just, you have to know so much to be able to really grade these buildings and they they do prioritize buildings that are like retrofitted so instead of building a new structure you're redoing an existing one and they're making sure that you're responsible with where you're both sourcing the wood or if you're using reclaimed materials so it's a pretty intensive process uh rewarding those folks for for doing it I mean, obviously it costs yeah. a lot of money in the first place so you're probably more likely to be at a more high-end place. Yes. Um, You're going to pay more money. Yeah. The proximity hotel is out of my price range for sure. I looked at it. You can camp next to it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Go visit it. Tell them they're doing a great job. (laughs) Um, No, but yeah, that is true. Although I did read, it, it may have been from the head of that particular hotel. I can't remember, but he did make a comment about the cost of being environmentally friendly and stated basically how quickly they were able to make up those costs and his he he was like going broke isn't sustainable or something like that so he is his point was that you know yes there may be some input here but it's 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 worth it to to do this so that was good I was also slightly encouraged and I didn't write down the numbers but uh, so those were the numbers from the most recent article that I could find on it I'd previously found an article from several years back, I want to say maybe it was 2016 or something like that, that had the numbers of LEED certified lodgings. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much the numbers went up in that time frame. So I think that's a good sign for the hospitality industry in general, if we can get more lodgings uh, on board with going sustainable. So you can also, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say also like this is so far I think been the only tip where we've told you that like spending more money could be helpful like most of the stuff we're talking about so far actually means doing less uh and and getting more out of it sustainable wise and and lead certified like you don't have to find a place that is lead certified that's just if you are looking for a particular seal um that is one that you can look for but you can find you know more budget hotels where either the the overall brand or even sometimes that individual location will have specific things that they are doing to try to be more eco-friendly even if they're not going to be able to achieve lead certified standards so you don't have to you know pay an arm and a leg to stay at a hotel just do a little research on where you're staying to try to pick a good one. There are other uh, certifications that you can look for, like certified B corporations. You can look for um, things in the hospitality industry there as well. Uh, Hostels might be Mm -hmm. an environmentally friendly sort of situation because you are rooming with many more people in a smaller space. So there's less utility use that way. When I was in England, um, my mom came to visit me for spring break. Cause I was like, I'm going to go backpacking across the UK. And they were like, with who? And I was like, by myself. And they were like, no. <laughs> so my mom came out for spring break when I was studying abroad and we stayed at a hotel and it's interesting in the UK, at least I found that like you either stayed in a hotel for a lot more money than a general hotel would cost in the U S or you had options for hostels, but there weren't as many in between options. Like they don't have like a motel six out there. Mm. (laughs) Um, so the first night she came in because I knew she would be jet lagged and everything. We stayed at a nicer hotel. And one of the things they had was in order to turn the lights on, you had to put your key card in the slot. Nice. 
And so you couldn't leave the lights on when you left the room because the key card needed to be in the slot. And I just thought that was the most brilliant little thing that yeah. we don't do in the U.S. in my experience. And so I thought that was very cool. So in addition, hotel CEOs who I also know are listening, that's a cool <laughs> little thing you could do to save on your electricity bill. Yeah. Well, and that leads right into my next point, Casey, which we, we did talk about this in our mini-sode was kind of the big thing that we talked about, but you know, what's, what's the other thing to keep in mind when you're on vacation, when you're staying in a hotel, motel, whatever, what, what are the, what can you do to be environmentally friendly there? Something we talked about was basically like relaxing does not necessitate splurging in a way that is not your norm. Like basically like you, you if you're striving to be environmentally friendly, that doesn't go out the window when you go on vacation. You know, it's, there's still lots of ways that you can not have a bunch of plastic bags or whatever else you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Just try to live sustainably in the hotel as you would at home. So you talk about this key card and not being able to leave the lights on. I don't know why we do that in hotels, but I feel like it's fairly commonplace when people are in a hotel, if they're leaving the room for whatever, that they do just leave all the lights on. Like people leave their TVs on when they're not in the, the hotel room. And I'm like, we don't do that at home. At least I don't think, I think it's, you know, most of the time people turn their lights off when they leave, but it's just, you're just like, that's ah, fine. Like, it's not my house. It's not my room. Like we'll, we'll just leave the lights on. Yeah, Don't I'm do not that. paying for the energy bill today. Right, I can do exactly. whatever I want. Yeah. So all of those little things that you do at home, if you're trying to live a little greener, do those at the hotel room too. Turn off the lights when you leave. Adjust that thermostat. I when I mean we know that I'm cold all the time anyway, but whenever I walk into a hotel room, it is just it's, frigid. It's, yeah, it's so terrific. cold. Why do they do that? You know, adjust the thermostat or turn it off if you don't need it. Uh, unplug devices. You know, if you're so coffee is a good example for me. I don't drink coffee, so I get into these rooms that have the coffee makers. Unplug your coffee maker. Unplug the fridge if you're not going to use it. Unplug the microwave if you're not going to use it. And we don't need to be wasting all of that uh, electricity. Casey mentioned, you know, housekeeping, not washing the linens every day should be standard. It's not always, you may have to specifically refuse uh, housekeeping services. So do that. Uh, You can, you know, I just stayed in a hotel for a couple of weeks and I refused housekeeping. Like you can use your sheets and your towels uh, for that, that time period. It's okay. This is one that might be a little iffy depending I bring my own food sometimes, um, and that feels a little more eco-friendly to me, especially if my my food option is going to be primarily fast food or something like that. I will just do a grocery store run instead, um, but I'll try to bring my own food, utensils, water bottle, avoid those single-use plastic cups, which I wish that weren't put into rooms anymore, um, those types of things. A lot of hotels now are moving away from the little small toiletries, your, you know, shampoo and body wash and that sort of thing. And they are having big, bigger dispensers in the rooms, which is a good thing. If you are staying in a place that does still have those little toiletries, you just see if you can find out if they 
throw them away at the end of your visit, or there are some organizations now where they can donate them. But if they're just going to throw them away, take them with you and reuse the bottles. So just uh, all of those little things that you can do to try to just be a little bit greener when you're staying in that hotel. Yeah. And also, if you are seeing some of these things, if they do still have those little toiletries, if they do still have, if they're putting water bottles in your room or, you know, plastic cups or whatever, don't forget to tell them that this is important to you. So does the hotel recycle? Are they holding housekeeping services? Fill out those surveys. You're almost always going to get a survey after you leave. Fill out those surveys. If they don't send you a survey or tell them, write to them, email them, uh, and let them know this is something that is important to you. And that's a way that we can all help the hospitality uh, industry keep changing and getting better in terms of sustainability. Yeah. Bring uh, your reusable mug if you're a coffee drinker. Like Mm -hmm. one of the things that struck me is last time I stayed in a hotel, everything was basically wrapped in single use plastic. And I think it's partially like a hygiene thing. They wanted everyone to know that like COVID wasn't an issue for it, but it also made me feel like if I touched anything, it was going to get immediately thrown out afterwards. So, uh, so yeah, bringing, you know, if you know, you drink coffee, bringing a reusable mug that you can either make coffee at the hotel, or you can maybe fill it up at a Starbucks or whatever local coffee place you can find that'll take the reusable stuff. Um, that's a better way. Like even to the point where like my ice dispense, like, you know, you get the ice bucket. Mm -hmm. I love ice. Um, (laughs) like I'm a weirdo. I like chewing on it and stuff like that. So when we go in, it's like, ah, the ice machine, which is the ultimate height of luxury, right? Like that had been wrapped in plastic. So I just used my reusable water bottle instead of a dispenser. And then I didn't have to throw away the terrible plastic for it. And that's one less thing someone had to worry about washing. Yeah, absolutely. I just have a little cooler that I'll take to the ice machine so that you can smart. Yeah. Yeah. So just look for those, those little things. So moving on to travel, which is maybe the first thing that we think about in terms of our environmental impact on vacation. First thing that I put, of course, is avoid flying. And I put a little smiley face uh, in our notes because if you've listened to this podcast at all, you've probably heard about how I hate flying. I am afraid of flying and I will avoid it at all costs. And so I, (laughs) it's one of those things that I do that I, that I'll joke. uh, It makes me environmentally friendly, but really it's a completely different motivation. Uh, And also I put the smiley face there because I am not here to flight shame anybody. Like you need to fly sometimes and flying is actually not always necessarily going to be the worst choice either. So what I do when I travel is I am one person in a car and that's not great and may actually, depending on the situation, be more impactful uh, than if I were to fly. I will talk about that more in a minute, but you don't have to be Greta Thunberg on a boat. Correct. Crossing the Atlantic. You do not. It's so a, that's not yes. necessary. Uh, so avoid flying if it's a shorter distance, basically. So if it's something that's easily drivable for you um, and you've got other people that are going with you, or if it's a short distance, probably even if you're by yourself, driving is maybe still the, the, the more sustainable. Um, if you're in Europe, actually, there is a website that's called EcoPassenger, ecopassenger.org, that you can actually put in your 
trip cool. and it'll ca- calculate a uh, plane versus train versus car for you. Unfortunately, that does not work for us here in the United States, but I thought that was a cool uh, resource to use. But if you're on, if, if you're on the East coast, there is a decent amount of train systems yeah. that exist as well. And like, it's a, like, we're not, not aware of other restraints. Like we would fly to Minnesota from Indiana, partially because that was going to be 20 hours of vacation time Mm -hmm. we were going to have to take that we would rather have spent traveling with family. Certain people are like one of our friends had a pulmonary embolism and is prone to blood clots. So sitting down in a car for a super long time, yep, that's not necessarily a safe option for her. So there are, are, are different factors that make travel yeah. And, and like, also, if you have time to be Greta Thunberg on a boat, then be Greta on a boat. If that's what, what is, is your jam? Because like, yes, the reason she did that is because we need to be embracing alternative forms of yes. travel rather than just relying on airplanes. When we yes. look at infrastructure, we do need a better high speed rail system in the U S. Um, so if you like those things, that's also something to advocate for with local state and federal policies to try and make sure that you can visit parts of the U S or wherever parts of your country that you are living in more easily without having to board a plane. Yeah. So yes, fly. If you need to fly, there's lots of reasons that you might choose a particular mode of transportation. But, uh, when we're looking at per person, carbon dioxide emissions flying usually comes out on the bottom. That's why you hear about it so much. Uh, but it doesn't always come out on the bottom. And sometimes we obviously need to fly. So if you are going to fly, there are a couple of things that you can do to think about making that flight a little more eco-friendly too. Um, So we talked about saving the flying for those longer trips, especially if you're traveling by yourself. Um, But also look for nonstop flights, which is another thing that I would do, uh, not realizing that it was more eco-friendly just because I'm scared of flying and I wanted to make it as straightforward as possible. But a lot of the emissions generated from planes actually come from the takeoff and landing. So if you can find a good nonstop flight, go for that if you can. And then, hey, fly coach, um, first class has more space, which equals fewer people and therefore a higher per person emissions. That's kind of how that's calculated. So uh, you can fly coach to lower your your individual contribution, basically. Also things like packing light, which we'll talk about uh, uh, or we'll mention probably later on as well, but keeping the weight as light as possible helps to reduce emissions too. So think about those things. If you're flying train travel, like Casey was saying, uh, was something I, I wish that we had better here. I've never been on a train, but I would love to travel by train. I know there's so many things I need to do. Um, no, I would love to travel by train. I Come I, visit I, me. I, Let's yeah. go camping and go travel take on the a train. train. <laughs> I check so many things off my list. Uh, <laughs> I would have to drive out there though. But, but trains do generally come out on top. So I think that sounds amazing. I, there are some really cool train travel itineraries out there. If you don't like doing the work to plan a vacation, there's some cool ones out there. So if you've, if you've got a route and the time and the money to do it, train travel can be expensive too. So, uh, but that's a good thing to think about if you are driving. So one of the things that I, I, I do have an eco-friendly vehicle, 
so that does help me when I take those long solo road trips. Uh, you can potentially look at renting uh, an eco-friendly vehicle too if you do have to take a, a long drive, uh, especially if you're by yourself. Um, so whether that's getting you to your destination or you're going to need a vehicle to drive around your destination, that's something that you could think about that I hadn't really thought about before too. And then I will just mention here carbon offsets. This is like many things that we talk about, probably a broader topic in and of itself. Casey, have you ever done, have you ever purchased carbon offsets? No, partially because I feel like they're sus. Like, I don't yeah. know if, <laughs> if I like trust, like, I'm sure there's real ones, but yes. there also feels like there's fake ones too. Yes. Am I wrong? Okay. You're, you're not wrong. So this is yet another thing that there's different, uh, sort of levels of quality and there's probably not enough regulation on this. So gonna say it again. You got to do your homework, find some good ones. Sometimes airlines will sort of offer their own as well. If you're not familiar with what carbon offsetting is, basically you calculate what your carbon emissions are for your trip. There's lots of calculators out there that you can do that. And then you pay money to, so basically you purchase offsets for your emissions and you do that by paying money. And this goes to some emissions reducing project. So that may, might be a forestation project that might be methane capture or renewable energy development um, or something like that to theoretically offset an equivalent amount of your emissions. Part of me likes it. Part of me says it's better than nothing. Uh, there are a lot of arguments out there against this as well, including that this sort of just detracts from the real problem and makes people feel like they can still sort of do whatever they want, doesn't actually reduce emissions. And then like we were saying, they do vary in quality. So not something that we've done, but I know people that do it. Um, so maybe you can find somebody in your life that has a program that they've participated in before that they like. Um, and so you can see if that is a fit for you or not, but at least something I wanted to mention. Anything else for the sort of travel section here, Casey, before we move on? I know you said you had some things for our final section. Yeah, I guess the thing we sort of alluded to also is that like, if you are traveling to a place, Europe's a great example where you don't need to rent a car. Like it is nice if you're an American who's like used to the autonomy of being able to drive wherever you want. If you go to some place that has really good public transportation, like a, a metro system or a bike rental system. I feel like those are popping up in a lot of US yeah. cities. Those dang electric scooters zooming around yeah. everywhere. That's a way to get from one place to another. So not maybe necessarily defaulting to what our comfort zone is, which is cars all the time. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about some alternative means of transportation to get, because a lot of cultural like places that you would go to a city for on vacation are within a certain travel distance from each yep. other. So that's another way to look yeah. at it. And you can help yourself out in that planning process to doing that and seeing what the local transportation options are um, and all of that. And I'll tell you what, I love driving. I do love a good road trip. I, I will admit that, but driving in an unfamiliar place is extraordinarily <laughs> stressful. So yeah, just uh, do the public transportation and eliminate that stress for yourself. That's a good it's one. Something Sarah pointed out is like slowing down across your route. That's a like biking through a city is a really good way to discover a little shop without having to worry about paying for parking or 
finding your like, okay, I can stop because I'm on a bicycle. <laughs> right. And and being able to see those local shops and that local gem and really getting a feel for the culture um outside of just what the streets are leading your car to a parking lot near. Right. You know? Yeah. So get off the beating path. Yeah. All right. So I actually feel like most of the stuff that I had in my final section, which is like packing and preparation, we've already touched on a little bit, but Casey, I know you said you had some things to add. So we'll definitely uh, hear that too. First one I feel like is super easy and probably everybody does it uh, already, but you know, we are in the day and age of technology. So don't print out those tickets. You don't need to be carrying paper paper tickets around uh, with you anymore. Use paperless ticketing and receipts. You know, so many places will email you receipts now as well. So everybody get, get your rocket books and then uh, eliminate your tickets and your receipts. We'll just go all paperless tonight. Um, so think about those little things though, uh, as, you're, as you're planning. We already talked about packing light. So that can not only help if everybody packs as light as possible, with uh, emissions when you're traveling, no matter what form of transportation you're using. Um, but also, you know, think about things that you're going to be able to wear and, and rewear and hand wash. Don't have to worry about laundry as much, that sort of thing. Just think about what you really need to take with you. Think about your toiletries as well. I remember I used to really like getting travel sized items. Like when oh, I was they're younger, so cute. they're so, so cute. Yeah. yeah. It was just so nice. Like I'm going to have my little things that I take with me. Um, don't do that. Don't do twice don't. a year when <laughs> yeah, I leave right? my home and then I forget them. And then I have like these old and they, you know, they spill or whatever and they get all like crusty. And then I find, Oh, look at these three travel shampoos that I had. Uh, yeah. So stop buying travel size products. Again, a little easier to do if you were not flying. Um, obviously with, with flights, there are some restrictions on what you can bring, um, but you can do something like getting reusable containers and pouring in some of your bigger products. Or like we talked about before, there's bar everything. Bar everything. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're going to say? I saw yes, you wanted to I was say so that. excited. Oh, good. I'm glad I raised Guys, it's not a liquid. It they take the water out. It's a bar. Yeah. You can take it wherever you want. <laughs> TSA can't steal it from you. I have not been stopped for liquid stuff, but one time uh they stopped Andrew and I on the way to Minnesota, the TSA, and like pulled a bag apart. I was like, Andrew, what did you forget in there? It wasn't Andrew, it was me. There were two forks in my purse. <laughs> You can take forks on planes, turns out, but it does. They do have to pause and confirm that they are forks. So Andrew's uh, like, why do you have two of them? I don't have a good explanation for it, but. Um, one for you and one for Andrew. Yeah, yeah. now it is. I'm pretty sure I stole one from work accidentally. Oh. I was the fork gremlin that day. Oh no. Um, okay. But one thing, like I, I bring a reusable bag, like. Mm -hmm. I, I think of reusable bags for grocery stores, but what I have found, I now have just a purse that is big enough to be a reusable bag so that I never have to like go to CVS and have them hand me things like, nope, nope, I'll just pop it in my purse. But it's the same thing for souvenirs. It's the same thing when you're going to get takeout. Like one of the things traveling with COVID is that we would go to restaurants and then take out the food yeah. um, because we didn't want to eat inside. And we would almost always end up with a plastic bag and a bunch of styrofoam. 
mm-hmm. least you can, if you have a reusable bag, that's a way, good way to transport things around. You can also bring containers, not really in that case, but for leftovers from those restaurants so that you can eat at the hotel the next day. I've done that a lot. So there are reusable options. Obviously it's harder to pack light when you're bringing reusable things, but on road trips, that's a really good way to spend your space. Those, yeah, you can just have some of those things in your car too. Yeah. So I, like I had on here, bring your own utensils. And then, like I said, sometimes I just bring my own food and avoid the restaurants all together. But if you are going to a restaurant, yeah, bringing your own takeout containers, Uh, same things that we should, hopefully we are trying to, you know, just get in the habit of doing in our daily lives anyway just bring those with you on vacation. Oh, like I, because I, we are kind of a road trip family. We oftentimes stop at gas stations for food. We've been doing really, really well about bringing snacks and it helps me eat way healthier. And it helps me make sure that I am not spending money on items that are in single use plastic packaging. And when you pay at the gas station, it's so much more expensive than when you get things at the grocery store. So that's another way to do it. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of the end of the line for me. That was sort of a lot of stuff, but I also feel like there's probably a lot more that so much we could more. dive yeah. into here. So this is another one where just let us, please let us know, like share. We'll hopefully try to give you some opportunities uh, on our social media accounts to, to share your thoughts too. So what, what did we forget on here? What are some tips that you have to be environmentally friendly when you travel? Was there anything on here that you liked and want to start incorporating into your vacation routine? Uh, All of those things, hopefully you can share some of those with us and uh, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll have a follow-up sometime or do a part two, or there might be specific items that we'll dive uh, deeper into on future episodes. But thanks for listening uh, this evening, folks. And we'll be back in just a minute with our actions for the week. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks again for listening tonight. I'm going to keep the action fairly simple tonight. Although, like I said, I hope that there were either there was either something that we talked about that you can pick out or you're going to share with us some other things that you already do. But one thing that I would say to just start your next vacation planning a prep right now is to think about where you stay. And maybe you have, you know, your sort of go to you're on the road. What's your, your go to sort of chain hotel motel that you stay in? Take a minute to look at your go-to place or places where you would normally stay, see what their environmental policies are. So look at, you know, if you're like, I always stay at Best Western or whatever, look at the overall hotel company. If you've got a specific place that you usually go, you can look at that individual location too. see what their sustainability policies are that they have in place. And if you feel like they're lacking, let them know and or see if you can find a better place to say something that fits your 
environmental desires a little better. What am I trying to say? Uh, that fits with your standards. Your You're standards. a discerning <laughs> customer who That's deserves better. the best. So, okay. So I'll give you guys an example of how I'm approaching this task. Andrew and I don't have a preferred hotel chain because we pick the cheapest place to stay that doesn't look like we're going to die in it. But when I was a kid, we went on family reunion when I was five to the Hilton Hotel. And it felt like the fanciest thing that I had ever done. And we got towels from them. And it was so, and like going back, obviously I was very disappointed that it's like, it's a nice hotel, but not like paradise that five-year-old me thought it was because there was an indoor pool. But anyway, that's what I'm going to be looking up is the Hilton hotel policy. So if you're not someone who relates to like having a favorite chain, think about a memory that you had and think about like, you know, aspirationally, if you could go on your dream vacation, oh, yeah. what you'd be looking at, maybe research a destination you have in mind. For example, going on my honeymoon sometime when the world is less broken and we're going to have to look for places to stay. So if you're in a similar situation, start looking at your destination and see what your lodging options are. There's lots of ways to approach this if, you know. Yeah, I have like three, you know, because I, I am also a... Well, you go to the same destination too. I do, but yeah, but yeah. but it, when I'm on the road, like I'll stay in different different places. I do try to look for a cheaper one, but I I've gotten a little pickier as I've gotten older. If I'm going to be honest, but I have a few uh, that I'll sort of are sort of my go tos that I'll rotate between depending whatever is cheapest in in the moment. Uh, so I'm going to kind of look up and compare what what those are. Oh so, yeah, come back yeah. to us with a comparison. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, Casey, for your discussion tonight. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you do have anything to add or anything you want to share, again, we are A Little Greener Podcast on Facebook. We are at A Little Greener Pod on Instagram, or you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Share with us your ideas for green vacations and, and what you find in your research and all of those things. And Hey, maybe we'll talk about it on the pod, but we appreciate you guys listening. Thanks everyone. 